0: Awesome. It's been a fantastic day already, but it's not over. I want you to grab your Bibles and get them ready. Uh, A very, very close friend of mine is here today, Clint Kirby. Clint, you can go ahead and come on up. Clint was my childhood friend. We lived behind each other, or I guess across the street from each other as little kids. Um, Clint and his family have been a huge part of my life. Uh, We got to serve together for a handful of years in ministry as young adults as we traveled and and worked camps like these kids are going to. And he is a missionary in Gdansk, Poland. Some of you know Clint and Missy and their family because our church have taken a couple of trips to Poland. And many of you have his picture on your refrigerator and you pray for them. If you don't, I hope that you were able to get one of the prayer cards as you came in. If you didn't, grab one as you leave. And also, we'll give you a chance. There's another QR code later that if you do that thing, uh, you'll get added to their, their uh, prayer list. You, you know it's new to everybody. Just don't take a picture of it. You got to hold the phone up with the camera on and it scans it. You did it at the restaurants during COVID, okay? You know how to do that. But Clint is coming today. Um, They are in the States right now for a quick breather and also because uh, his wife, Melissa, is about to give birth to their fourth child, which is unbelievably uh, exciting prayer requests actually answered. So... um, she is due in only a couple of weeks. So he flew in late last night and is flying right back tomorrow morning to Dallas. And so we stole him just to be here this morning. Uh, so please uh, give, give Clint an applause, I guess. But uh, be praying for him as he speaks to us God's word this morning.
1: Thanks, Brian. Well, it's a joy to be with you this morning. As Brian said, y'all have sent a couple teams uh, to us. My family... We actually came through uh, Heritage on our way to Poland back in 2009. Y'all were still meeting in a school, and y'all prayed for us. And uh, uh, sometimes, because right now in Poland it's the afternoon, um, I'll catch some of y'all's uh, worship service online, so it's cool to be here and, and uh, see everything. I didn't know if, if uh, Brian, the worship leader's beard, was real I thought maybe it was CGI for the live stream, but it's good to be here to to verify that it's indeed real. So it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Well, four months ago, as most of y'all know, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. And for the next couple of weeks, there was chaos and there was confusion uh, everywhere. And where we are, Poland, we share a border with, with Ukraine, and so... Many Ukrainians escaped to Poland. They started to uh, come into our city there. And my wife and I prayed about it. We knew we were going to host a refugee. We just didn't know uh, who. Uh, But God brought to us uh, a young Ukrainian woman named uh, Svetlana. Uh, Her husband, uh, Arthur, was back in Ukraine. He couldn't leave the country because the men can't leave uh, during this time. And when we met her on a Sunday... She was exhausted, she was sad, she was, she was burnt out. Uh, but she came to our home, she was with us for, for two and a half months, and as you can imagine with three small kids, she was a, a huge blessing to us. I hope we were just as much of a blessing um, to her. Uh, but as the situation calmed down in her uh, uh, hometown, she returned right before we came over. But one day we were we were just talking, and she was... You know, thinking about her experience of just suddenly having to leave uh, her home, her husband, everything that she knew. And she said, you know, in this life, we think we need all of these different things. But when that moment comes and you don't have time to pack, you don't have time to get stuff done and you just have to leave, you realize that you don't need all that much. It's true, right? There's many things that we think we need in this life, whether possessions, finances, uh, all of these things, and all of those things are good. But when that moment comes, she, she just realized she needed to leave, she had a backpack, and that was it. You know, in life, when we pursue the things that we think we need, we work for it, we save for it, we think about it, we stress about it, But many times in the end, we find out it wasn't something that we actually needed. It might have been something that we wanted, but it wasn't something that we actually needed. And in the end, we actually needed something else. So what do you think we need, actually need, in this life that God has given us? Well, this morning, I want us to look at a familiar story from the Gospels. It's a story probably most of us know very well, Um, but there's a tension in the story between what we think we need and what we actually need, a tension between what we think is most important and what God thinks is most important for us. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. So at this point in the the gospel of Mark, Jesus has been preaching and ministering in in the area of Galilee, um, but it seems here that he was going to make Capernaum his home base. It even says in verse 1 that Jesus was at home. We don't often think about Jesus being at home, do we? We often think about Jesus being in the manger. We think about Jesus you know, walk around, walking around and, and traveling. But here in verse 1, it says he's at home in Capernaum, and everyone found out about it says that there were many gathered together in his home. The room was full, so full, they couldn't contain more people, not even at the door. And what was Jesus doing? What does it say he was doing in verse two? What was capturing everyone's attention and imagination? It says he was preaching the word. No lights, no cameras, no smoke, no lasers, no drones, no, no music as far as we know, it was the word of God. You know, as a church planner, it's a humbling reminder that what people are desperate for the most are the words of life from God our Father. The music, the building, all of these things, those things are good too. But it's the word that we need the most. So everyone is there. The house is full. No one else could, could, could fit in, not even at the door. But of course, that couldn't stop Everyone from joining that day. Verse 3 and 4. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So there's a man who's paralyzed and is trying to get into the house to to see Jesus. Of course, he can't walk, so his four friends are there to to carry him. But there's a problem. The house is full. Now, at that point, some people might have just given up and said, oh, let's come back another day or let's just wait for Jesus to come out later. But these four friends were determined. The full house was not going to stop him. So they get creative Back then, a a typical house uh, was was one room with two floors, and there was a staircase going around the outside of the house. So to get to the roof area, you had to climb up the the stairs uh, to get to the top. And typically, those roofs were held together with clay and some combination of of sticks and branches. So as they're making this opening, you can imagine the, the dirt and everything raining down on the people inside. But these men didn't care. They had to get their friend to Jesus. They were okay with getting their hands dirty. Which leads me to my first observation from the text, and that is bringing someone to Jesus ain't easy. It's So good to be back here in the southern United States where I can use my ain'ts and my y'alls and, and speak y'all speak my language. But bringing someone to Jesus ain't easy. In the story, there were multiple obstacles in the way. First of all, their friend was paralyzed. As far as I know, there weren't, you know, wheelchairs available back then. Second obstacle, the house was full. There's no more seats. You couldn't get in. Third obstacle, the roof. They had to get their hands dirty in order to open the roof. You know, there were a lot of moments when they could have just quit. There were a lot of moments where they could have just given up and everyone would have understood. But they didn't. It wasn't easy, but as we'll see later in the story, it was worth it. You know, one other thing I was thinking about this week, reading this text, you know, in order to bring their friend to Jesus... They had to go get their friend, right? Their friend didn't come to them. He couldn't come to them. Maybe he was at home. I don't know. But their friends had to go get him in order to bring him to Jesus. You know, it's a great sort of mini snapshot of our call to go and make disciples of all nations. We must go and bring our friends to Jesus just like these four men. You know, recently I was talking to one of my friends who gets to work with a lot of uh, pastors and and a lot of churches, and of course he said that the the pandemic has had a huge impact on on churches, um, you know, financially um, and all these other things, but especially when it comes to sending out missionaries. He said that most churches have, you know, sort of pushed pause on missions, where churches have just decided, okay, we'll just... You know, send some some money overseas. I know at Avant, our missions organization, that recruiting new missionaries these past two years has gone down significantly. Look, I, I get that in the past two years there have been obstacles. There's health obstacles, financial obstacles, other obstacles. But I'm a little bit concerned that the urgency of the mission has been lost a little bit. I'm a bit concerned that we are perhaps a little bit too content to let those obstacles remain as obstacles. Right? Because for these four men, it was urgent to get their friend to Jesus. The obstacles didn't stop them. The crowd didn't stop them. The roof didn't stop them. They were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Christ. They overcame the obstacles. They got their hands dirty. Are we, the church in North America, just as faithful in these days? Are we willing to overcome the obstacles? Are we willing to get our hands dirty? Are we still Willing to go. You know, these four men, I'm sure didn't have, you know, the Zoom app in their day. But I don't think they would have been content just to stay home and try to connect Jesus to their friend via Zoom. I suppose Jesus could have used Zoom back then, but he didn't. And we see in the Gospels, Jesus rarely healed people from from long distance, even though he could. Rather, he touched the people he healed. He got his hands dirty with Jesus. It was intimate. It was face to face. My point is, is that we must not shrink back from the Great Commission. We can't just sit back and hope that it's all happening out there somewhere. Instead, we must own it. Like the four men, we must get our hands dirty. Bringing someone to Jesus ain't easy, but it's so worth it. We bring him to Jesus and trust him to do the rest. You know, we're all called to be engaged in this mission that Jesus has given given to us. Locally and globally. And when it comes to globally, when it comes to, to crossing cultures, we need people to go, but we also need senders. We need people to go and, and take the gospel to the places that don't know Jesus yet. But we need senders just as much, people to, to bless them, to pray for them, to support them, however they can. You know and I have to wonder that in a church this size, could there be someone? Could there be a couple? Could there be a family? that God is actually preparing? To go, to be a light in a dark place. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So this morning, if the Lord is speaking to you about that, I encourage you to fan the flame, to tell Brian, uh, to tell Sydney, to take a step. You know, when I was 20 years old, I didn't know anything about the country of Poland. I couldn't tell you anything about it. This definitely was not my plan. But God led me to one step. I took that step, which led to another step. I took that step. Then another step, took that step. You know, I like to say that God leads us with a flashlight and not a floodlight. We usually don't see 20 steps ahead, and that's probably good for us. Most of the time, we just see the next one. But if you're faithful with that next step, You never know where God could lead you. Will you take the next step? One last thing on these four men since I'm here today at at Brian's church. You know, one of the main reasons I'm in Poland and that I'm in ministry is because of Brian and our, our group of friends. There's that old saying, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And for sure, I was blessed to have a friend like Brian. I was blessed to have friends who loved the Lord, who challenged me to to grow in areas of my life in which I needed to grow and and were good examples for me to follow. Choosing your friends is so important and so influential in determining the path of your life and the choices you make. We have a young Polish woman at our church in Poland named, named Marta. And when the lockdown started and all those things, um, she had more time. And so she kind of looked around. She looked at her group of friends and started to evaluate them. And she was like, are these really my friends? Are these people I just have fun with and can laugh with? Are these people I can actually talk about my hopes and fears and dreams? And eventually she decided that, that they weren't. They weren't really friends. They were just acquaintances. And so she took a step of faith and she just decided to, to end those relationships. And someone had invited to our church months before. So she said, "Ah, oh, maybe I'll go check out this church and, and see what's going on. And she came and she came again. She came again. She started getting involved. She started to be a part of the worship team and she found a, a loving community that would pray for her, support her, her. not a perfect community, but a community of people who cared about her. Community, a lot like heritage. And she told me, I never knew such a place could exist. But she would have never found it had she not taken that brave step of looking for it. Who are your friends? Who are the people around you that you spend time with? Are they trying to get you to Jesus, like the four men? Or are they people that try to pull you away from him? The Bible says we typically walk the same path as our friend, right? Bad company corrects good character, walk with the wise and become wise. I don't know about you, but I want to have friends who would carry me through the roof. And I want to be the kind of friend that would carry my friends through the roof. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Well, let's look at verse 5 as the four friends lower their paralyzed friend down through the roof. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. It says that Jesus sees their faith. It's the faith of the four friends, and probably also the, the paralyzed man, that Jesus sees. He sees their faith in in action. They believed that Jesus could heal their friends, so they brought them to Jesus. They overcame the obstacles. They got their hands dirty. And Jesus noticed. So Jesus sees their faith. Jesus looks at their friends who's paralyzed and and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. Sins? What about his Legs, sins, I mean, it wasn't the main issue his legs. Why is Jesus talking about his sins? Doesn't that man need working legs more than the forgiveness of sins? I mean, the man's biggest problem is physical, not spiritual, right? Wrong. My second observation from the text is that God knows Your greatest needs. The reason Jesus addressed his spiritual needs first that day is because, whether you realize it or not, the forgiveness of sins is what we all need the most. It's just like what uh, Savannah said in the baptism video. This probably surprised the four friends that day, but Jesus was actually responding to the paralyzed man's greatest need in that moment, the forgiveness of sins. Warren Wiersbe said, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. The Bible says that the, the wages or the payment for our sin is death. But through the good news, through the gospel, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ Our Lord, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, by believing him, you can be saved, not because of anything that you have done, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. The truth is, all physical healing is temporary. Even if we might be healed of some physical illness for a while, the truth is that all of us, hopefully later than sooner, someday will, will pass. But what Jesus offers you, spiritual healing, lasts forever. And it's spiritual healing that we all need the most. This man and his friends weren't coming that day for the forgiveness of sins. They were there for the physical healing. But the truth was is that man needed forgiveness from his sins more than physical healing that day. He needed spiritual healing. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. In other words, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of people who can only harm your body. They might harm your body, but they can't touch your soul. Instead, Jesus says, Be wary of Satan who can harm both the body and the soul. So the body is important, but the soul is most important. The world today tells us the opposite. The world tells us that the body is the most important. So people spend all of their time trying to improve their bodies instead of spending all that time trying to improve their souls. So their bodies look good, but their souls are a mess. It's not that bodies aren't important. They are. But our souls are most important as we see here in this text. But that can be easy for us to miss, though. It can be a lot easier for us to focus on the physical than the spiritual. So in the same way, those four friends that day could have said, sins? What about his legs? We could also say, okay, God, you might be trying to teach me something, but what about this job situation? Okay, God, I... I, I know you might be trying to tell me something, but what about my health problems? Okay, God, I feel you speaking to me about this, but what about my finances? I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. And we feel like God isn't answering our prayers. We feel like God isn't responding to our needs. But the whole time, he's trying to teach you something spiritually. He's trying to help you grow. He's trying to help you rely on him more because God knows what your greatest need is more than we do. You know, I'm still trying to grow in this, this area too. For a while, I knew we'd be back in the States this month for, for physical reasons, for, for the birth. Um, and also after 13 years, we needed to, to raise you know more financial support. So these past few months, I was thinking about these Uh, physical things and maybe stressing over them. And then after some time, I started to consider, okay, God, but what are you going to teach me during this time? How might you use me? What do you want to do inside of me spiritually during these months? And then our time in the States started to have a purpose, a greater purpose, as I prayed for opportunities like this to share what God is doing in Poland and to ask God to raise up more workers for the harvest. I'm still learning this too. Don't be so focused on the physical that you miss out what God wants to do in you spiritually. Maybe this morning, like the paralytic, you think that your biggest problem is physical, but actually God wants to heal something in your heart spiritually. He wants you to forgive that person Or he wants you to ask that person for forgiveness. Or maybe he wants you to surrender that destructive behavior in your life. Whether it's lust, alcohol, drugs, gossips, whatever. Or maybe he just wants you to come to him with your anxieties, your fears, your doubts, and insecurities. Sometimes we pray for physical healing and and we're healed. Sometimes we pray for physical healing and, and we're not healed the Apostle Paul with this thorn in the flesh. But Jesus is always ready to heal you spiritually. And no matter what's going on in your life physically, that is what you need the most. And then we can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still have everything. It's easy to come to God with a broken arm, with an infection, with a cold. It's not as easy to come to God with our hopes and our fears and our problems. To give those things to him and to say, God, I trust you. You know more than I do what I need right now. It's scary, but there's no better place to be. So Jesus forgives the man of his sins, but we see in verse 6, that not everyone was happy. Verse six through eight. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? It says here in Jesus' house were scribes. Who were the scribes? Well, the scribes were smart men in Israel whose main job was to, to study the law, to study the Old Testament. One of their main jobs was to preserve the scriptures as they were you know, copied down, to make sure they were copied correctly. But just like the Pharisees, another group in the, we see in the New Testament, even though they were experts of the law, even though they were teachers of the law, the law had not traveled from their heads down into their hearts. They weren't gracious people. Later, Jesus in the gospel says that they were were hypocrites. But here they are. They're in Jesus' home, and they're here to check out Jesus. And even though we might read verse 5 and say, Jesus, what about his legs? The scribes had a totally different question in their hearts. It It doesn't say that they said these things out loud, but they were thinking about these questions. And their questions were, How can this man say this? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. Of course, their second thought was was quite serious. Back then, the the penalty for blasphemy was death. And in their mind, they thought Jesus had just committed blasphemy by being able to, to forgive sins, which only God can do. But their third thought was actually correct. It's true. Only God can forgive sins. But what they missed, what they couldn't see, was that Jesus was God in the flesh. So it wasn't blasphemy at all, because Jesus was and is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see that in verse 8. Again, these scribes, they haven't said anything yet. This is just their, their thoughts. And Jesus, showing himself to be God, reads their thoughts and talks to them about their thoughts. And he says... Why are you thinking about these things? In other words, why are you missing out on what's happening here? That leads me to my third point, which is really a question. And that is, what's in your heart? In this story, we see two different hearts. The hearts of the men who carried the paralytic, they were were hearts full of faith. Jesus saw their faith, it said. But we also see the hearts of the scribes. Their hearts were critical. Their hearts were full of unbelief. Their hearts were full of doubt. Jesus was doing amazing things that day, but there were two quite opposite reactions. Let me ask you this morning, are you a person who celebrates the work God is doing in other people's lives? Or are you a critic? Are you a hater, as the young people might say? Are you like the four men willing to try and attempt great things for God? Or are you like the scribes, just ready to criticize others? You know, it's interesting that there's this note in verse 6 that says the scribes were sitting. It's such a contrast, right? The four men were doing stuff. They were carrying their friend. They were climbing up the stairs. They were cutting a hole in the roof. They were lowering their friend down to Jesus. They're active. They're trying. They're doing something. They're getting their hands dirty. But the scribes, the critics, they're just sitting there, not doing anything. Which of these two groups do you identify with? Or a better question... Which group would your friends put you in? Are you so ready to criticize others that you miss out on the great things that God is doing? Or are you willing to try? Are you willing to fail? Are you willing to get your hands dirty and trust God? You know, today it's, of course, much easier to be a critic than it was 2,000 years ago. With the internet and social media, we can share our opinions you know, faster than ever. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Today, we could say, out of the overflow of the the heart, the fingers type. So what's in your heart? What do you type? Is it faith and belief? Or is it doubt and unbelief? You might be able to fool other people, but as we see in this story, you can't fool God. He knows what's in our hearts. Wouldn't it be amazing that if God looked into our hearts, he would see faith and belief that he can still do mighty things? Verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So Jesus asked them, what's the easier thing to say, your sins are forgiven, or or rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, the answer is obvious. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no real way for the scribes to check. It's a spiritual act. The harder thing to say is rise and walk because it's easy to check. If the man rises up, okay, Jesus is legit. If he doesn't rise, then Jesus would be proven to be a fraud. But spiritually, the truth is opposite. While it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, only God can actually forgive sins. So while it's the easier thing to say, it's something that only God can do. But of course, Jesus can do it because he's God and the flesh. So he's basically trapped the scribes. How can they answer his question? What can they do? Well, before they have the chance to answer, Jesus resolves it. In verse 10 But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So Jesus says the harder thing. He says, rise and walk. But Jesus says the reason... He says this is so that people know that he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus, being God, doesn't have to prove anything, but he's showing the scribes, he's showing the crowds his divine power. Again, Jesus is making a statement here. He could have very easily just healed the paralyzed man and let him go. But Jesus wants these people to know that he has the power and authority to forgive sins. He is God in the flesh. Not only can he bring physical healing, but he offers spiritual healing. In verse 12, we see Jesus' miraculous power. He tells the paralyzed man to stand up, pick up his mat, and go home. And the man immediately stands up, picks up his bed, and goes home. And the crowds were amazed. Glorify God. They say, we've never seen anything like this. In this story, we see Jesus took care of this man's greatest need, his his spiritual need. But we see here that Jesus also takes care of his other need as well. Which leads me to my last point, and that is simply, your problems are not too big for God. Even though the man's biggest problem was spiritual, Jesus still cared about his physical problem and healed him. And this healing, according to Jesus, was the easier thing to do. It wasn't a hard thing for God. What seemed impossible to this man and his friends for his legs to be healed was not a hard thing for God. We see here that God is so much bigger than our problems and our worries. And the amazing thing is that the God of the universe cares about you and cares about your problems. He cares about what you're going through right now. That thing you're going through today might seem impossible. It might feel too hard, but God can get you through it. God can resolve it. God is bigger than your problems. Nothing is too hard for him. And he invites us to cast our cares upon him. You know, Mark chapter 2 is a literal picture of Jesus' home. Right? All are welcome. Scribes are there. If you can't get through the door, come through the ceiling. He invites everyone. He invites you inside. You know, as Svetlana, the Ukrainian refugee, told me, we think we need so many things in this life. But in reality, we don't need very much. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will take care of all the rest. It's really easy to sing, Christ is enough for me. It's another thing to believe it, to walk in it. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, And many were gathered together so that no one could fit in the door. There was no room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. As the famous missionary William Carey once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. There's a lost and dying world out there. They need the gospel. They need the forgiveness of sins. So may we be faithful. Let us go get them. Let us get our hands dirty. And at the end of the day, we can step back and be amazed. Give God the glory and say with the crowd, Lord, what an awesome thing you've done. We have never seen anything like this. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. God, we don't want to be scribes. We don't want to be doubters. We don't want to be sitting there. God, we all want to be like the four men, ready for any obstacles, willing to take great steps of faith, willing to get our hands dirty. God, we can't do this in our power. It's it's only through, through your power, God. And God, we confess that in this life we can easily focus on the the physical things, the physical problems we have, the needs. And God, we know from your word you care about those things too. We're called to bring those things to you. But God, most importantly, you care about what's happening in our hearts. God, whatever you're speaking today to us, God, may we be faithful to, to surrender to you, to give to you. God, and I do pray that amongst this great church, I pray that if there is someone, some couple, some family, some families, some people, God, who you've put on their heart to potentially go to cross cultures to share the hope of Jesus with the dying world, God, I pray that they would be faithful to take that next step. We don't know the steps after that, God, but we trust you to show them to us. You're faithful. You've never failed us yet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Clint.
0: Um, before we finish up today, I thought it'd be really good as a church family that we would pray for Clint and Melissa as they get ready to go through the transition of adding another child to their family and then eventually heading back to uh, Gdańsk, Poland, where this war, even though you know, one of the teenagers said to me the other night, "Man, I forgot all about that." <laughs> and, and and it's kind of like here in America, you know, we're on to the next thing, whatever the news tells us to follow. But but it's actively going on right there where they are. So to continue praying for them, and so that they would know how God desires for them to minister to the to the Ukrainian people there. Um, Caleb, we didn't talk about this earlier, but I'd love for you to come and pray as a young man who has. Uh, said that God's call is on his life. I remember Clint being the young man that God had a call on his life, and I'm excited about that, so you go on and come up. We're gonna just pray for them and their family. And uh, if, if you haven't had a chance, can we throw that QR code back up there? Either? Or Who's back there anyways? Please. Thank you so much. Uh, if you scan that, you can join their newsletter if you'd like to pray for, for the Kirby family. If you would like to give financially, you can do that. Um, You can talk to Clint, but you can also find a link on the heritagecommunity.org website where you can give to Avant Ministries in the Kirby name. So um, thank you guys for for being here this morning, and Caleb will close us out.
2: All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thanking you, God, that we can all gather here safely to praise and to worship your holy name. God, thank you for Clint and his faithfulness to you. Lord, that him and his family have been so, so faithful to what you've called them to do. God, as they're getting ready to welcome a fourth child into their home, Lord, let their eyes be set on you. God, they are evidence, living proof of what your mercy, God, can do for in our hearts. When we listen, when we obey, God, you will take care of the rest. Let us be, let us care for each other like the four men in Mark today willing, being willing to go beyond all measures to witness to our friends, our family, to those who may not know you. God, I pray that as a church, our faith is bold. God, I pray that you don't call us to be a timid people. Lord, you call us to be courageous and to be bold with our faith. So Jesus, let us act like just that. We love you, God, asking over for your blessings over all of us. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, see you guys
0: next week.